0: One Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message and for more information, please visit us on the web at OneChurch.net. Well, good morning, church. I hope that you are doing well. Happy Sunday or whatever day it is that you are watching this. If you're watching this later in the week or, or f- stumbling on it at some other time, but I want to say Welcome to each and every one of you, and especially to those in our church family that are gathered in house churches today. And I'm so glad that we are in this rhythm now as we're able to regather biweekly all together as a church that we're also able to be in house churches. And, you know, really that has always been the biblical model of church Uh, although the Bible doesn't tell us biweekly, but large gatherings and small groups are both essential. And so I hope you are gathered in a house church this morning, or if not, why don't you just gather with your family, text somebody, call somebody, invite somebody to come over and uh, spend some time together fellowshipping today. Also, I wanna let you know next Sunday is something very special for our church. As you're all aware, we have purchased a building. And uh, next Sunday is going to be our first uh, all-church gathering. Now, it's not a grand opening. We're we're a ways from that. But it's a Vision Builders dedication service. And so that's a moment for us to gather together for some of you who have not seen the building, most of you that have not seen the building, the inside of the building, uh, to just get together, see the space, feel the the faith and excitement of what God is going to do, and just catch the vision. Uh, We'll give you a chance to walk around. We're also going to have a short time of uh, praise and worship a short message. Uh, We'll be outside, so I encourage you to just come dress casually. We'll have cold water. We'll have, I think, some popsicles for the kids and uh, just going to be a great, great time. So I hope you'll join us. That's at 1325 Lee Road, the future home of the open house. Come on, somebody. I'm excited about that. Well, today, if you have your Bible, why don't you grab it with me and turn to the book of Nehemiah. And uh, turn to the book of Nehemiah chapter 5. And uh, if you're just gathering, uh, or just joining with us today for the first time, we as a church family have been in the book of Nehemiah really for a few months. Throughout the spring season, we've been in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, and, and looking at this incredible community of people that rise up and rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And we've been talking about what does it look like to uh, rise up as a community, rise up in faith to accomplish God's purpose for our uh, ourselves, for our church community, for the world that we live in. And I've been amazed at uh, how God has just caused the book of Nehemiah to parallel the journey that we have been in as a church. Uh, I, I knew God put it on my heart, but uh, it's really been uh, God's providence that has just caused those things to line up, and it's been incredible. But uh, as I was away in Minnesota, my wife and I, our kids were away. Jennifer, you know her. Uh, we were all away, uh, just having a little bit of headspace and change of scenery, just to uh, seek God for really the second half of this year. And you know, today is the the last Sunday of June and uh, really the last Sunday of the first half. And so we want to kind of take a moment to maybe shift gears and and look at where we've been, how it's been going and and where we're headed uh, in the the months ahead. And as I was away, I was just seeking God. I said, well, God, thank you. You've worked a miracle. We, We started this year with the vision to buy a building. We shared the vision God provided miraculously, and we've been able to do it. Now, the work is is just beginning, but but I was saying, Lord, what are you saying to us for this second half of the year? And I felt like the Lord put on my heart this phrase, uh, these two words, rebuilding community, rebuilding community. And, you know, we've been through now, I don't know, 14, 15 months uh, that has been such a difficult season for everybody And for us as a church, you know, we, for a long time, we're not able to gather all together. Of course, there's been the challenges of all the political turmoil and all the things that have have really um, stressed the the relationships of community. But I believe that even as we move forward and even as we get a building and have gotten a building and are preparing to move into the building in this renovation process, that God wants us to not just build the building, but he wants us to build community. And really, that's the story of Nehemiah. The first four chapters or so are all about rebuilding the wall. But the second portion of the book is about rebuilding community. And ultimately, the whole purpose of the wall was not about just having a great wall or a great city. It was about having a great people. And what I want you to know is that God is always after Having a community. He's always wanted to have a people that he could dwell among, that he could live with, that would reflect his nature and his character in order to influence the world around them. And that's what God is calling for us. And, you know, we've said over the last several months, you know, church is not a building, uh, church is people. Now, people uh, live in bodies and bodies occupy space. And so we need a place. And I got to tell you, I'm so excited for us to have a place, but I believe even as we are in this process of building with bricks and mortar, we're also, I believe God is calling us to rebuild community, to build community. And that's what the, really the, the remainder of this book of Nehemiah, if you were going to summarize it Uh, You could probably summarize it in that phrase, rebuilding community, rebuilding community. And so today I want to do a little survey. This may be a little less of a sermon, more of a Bible study, a little survey throughout the book of Nehemiah. And and I want to encourage you to um, go back and study this book because this is an incredible book and we've taken our time just creeping through the first part of the book. We're going to move very quickly now through the rest of it today, but I want to encourage you to take time to study it because I believe that these things within this uh, This portion of Nehemiah is really critical for us as God's people today if we are going to build the community that God is calling us to build. Why are we getting a building? We're not getting a building because God just cares about buildings. We're getting a building because God cares about people. Uh, I'm telling you, when I walk into the building, I'm already hearing the sounds of worship that are going to be expressed in that building. As I'm walking around that building this week, I, I just was overcome with tears uh, of gratitude for what God has done and what God's gonna do. I, I'm hearing the, 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 the word of God being proclaimed in that building. I'm hearing the children running around and having fun and hearing the stories of Jesus and the Bible stories in that building. I'm, I'm smelling the coffee already as people are getting together for a cup of coffee, not just on Sundays, but, but throughout the week. And, and the reason we're passionate about the building is because we're passionate about people. God cares about people, God loves people. And God is after a community. God is wanting to build His church. In fact, that's the only thing that Jesus said He would build. He would build His church, His ecclesia, His His assembly of believers that through that community, He would reflect His character, His nature to the world around us. And that's what Israel was called to be and Jerusalem specifically in the Old Testament under the old covenant. But now through Jesus, we are the temple. We are the new Jerusalem, we are the people of God. And I believe God is calling us to be a community that reflects as we like to say the Jesus life together. And uh, I'm so excited for what is gonna be coming over the months ahead. There's gonna be some activities, some events. We're gonna be gathering at the building. Uh, Some of it is gonna be some work days just to, to help do the practical preparations that are needed. Some of it is gonna be prayer in that place to prepare the atmosphere for what God's going to do. Some of it's going to be prayer walks, community outreaches, because God wants to build a community. And so I want to very quickly do a little survey through Nehemiah. And I want to show you, I believe seven marks of biblical community, seven marks that we see in this book of Nehemiah that I believe God wants us to reflect. If we are going to be a Jesus community, a a Bible community, the first, thing that I want you to see is if we're going to be a Jesus community, if we're going to build community, number one is that we need to be a community of justice. Again, I'm moving quickly. So I want to encourage you to take your Bible, take a notepad, jot these things down, go back during the week and study it. I'm covering a lot of ground. But in Nehemiah chapter five, as soon as they are completing building the wall, we begin to see that there is injustice and oppression among God's people. And as I often say, where two or more are gathered, there's problems in the midst. Wherever you have people, you have problems. And that was true for Nehemiah. That was true for the Jewish people. And and even among God's people, there was injustice and oppression. The the rich people were oppressing the poor people with what we would call uh, predatory lending. They were lending money at, at exorbitant interest that became oppressive to God's people. And we see in Nehemiah chapter five, verse nine, Nehemiah says this, what you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? In other words, hey, think about what everybody else is saying. We're just like the world. We're doing the same thing that they're doing. We're greedy. We're oppressing one another. Don't you have the fear of God, he says. And then verse 10, he says, I also with my brethren and my servants am lending them money and grain. I'm guilty too. He says, please let us stop this usury. It was unjust. It was unrighteous. And, you know, uh, in our world today, there's been, of course, conversation of the awareness of injustice, the awareness of injustice. And I know even Uh, Among each one of us, there's probably differing perspectives on those issues. But ultimately, what I believe we need to recognize is that justice is a God issue. Justice isn't a cultural issue. Justice is a God issue. And so if we're going to be a community that reflects Jesus, we need to be a community of justice. A community of justice and our justice, our definition of justice cannot come from our party platform. I know in this day and age, even among the Supreme Court, there's often a split, the liberals and the conservatives. And ultimately, we are not called to be liberal or conservative. We're called to be kingdom. And that means this, that our definition of justice does not come from the world or our party platform. It comes from the word of God. And he says, don't you fear God? Don't you fear God? The the reality is that whether uh, something is in vogue culturally or not, if it's wrong, God notices. The Bible says this in the book of Psalms, verse 89, verse 14, that righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. In other words, the reason justice matters is not because the world thinks it matters. The reason justice matters is because it matters to God. It's his throne. His throne is established on justice. And so our longing for justice and our definition of justice does not come from a party platform. It comes from the throne of God. That means if God says it's right, it's right. If God says it's wrong, it's wrong. And, I, and I'm, I think it's so important that it continues to say mercy and truth go before your face. I'm so glad that, that there's mercy because when we become a community of justice, when we cry out for justice, as we should, we also have to recognize that before the throne of God, all of us fall short of God's definition of justice. And so even as we're crying out for justice, longing for justice in the world around us, we also need to cry out for mercy. God, have mercy on me. And that's what Nehemiah says. I've been wrong. I've been wrong. The first thing, if we're going to be a a Jesus community, if we're going to build a Jesus community, it needs to be a community of justice. The second thing I want you to see is it needs to be a community on mission, a community on mission. As Nehemiah and the the workers are finishing the wall, we see in Nehemiah chapter six, verse three, that as, as they are building Sanballat and Tobiah come up and they begin to distract Nehemiah and they say, Hey, come down off of the wall. Let's have a conversation. Let's, let's talk about, you know, they, they said they made false accusations against him and they said, come down. We need to have a conversation. And I love what Nehemiah says in Nehemiah 6.3. He says, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease? while I leave it and go down to you. In other words, Nehemiah says, can't stop, won't stop. The work is too great for me to become distracted in a petty conversation. And, and I believe for us as followers of Jesus, the work is too great for us to become distracted in all of the petty conversations that that can uh Distract us at times. That doesn't mean we should not be involved in the world. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be faithful in the practicalities of daily life. I know so many of us are involved with family and children, and you know, God cares about the, the daily things in life, but, but we cannot allow life to distract us from the mission. We need to live on mission. And He says, I'm not gonna, st- I'm not gonna come down until I'm finished. And the Bible tells us in Nehemiah chapter six, verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Allel in 52 days. In 52 days. Wow. What had not been able to be finished in 400 years previously, Nehemiah and this faithful band of workers completed in 52 days. Wow. Wow. You know, when I think about our work, our mission as followers of Jesus, ultimately it is to spread the good news of God's kingdom to the ends of the earth. And the Bible says this in Matthew 24, verse 14, that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. In other words, until all have heard, we won't stop. We won't stop loving, we won't stop serving, we won't stop expanding the kingdom of God, preaching the message of Jesus Christ. And missiologists will tell you today, people that study um, church and the expansion of the kingdom of God around the world, that for the first time in history, we have the potential in our lifetime to fulfill the Great Commission that the gospel in our lifetime can go to every tribe and every tongue. And I don't know about you, but that excites me. I say, God, let me be a part of it. Let me be a part of it. I was talking with our friend, Johannes Amritzer, and he was telling me about the mission work they're doing in Africa and in Kenya. And he talked to me about some of the unreached people groups and the opportunity for us to go and to be a part of preaching the gospel to them. And I said, man, I would love to do that. We want to do that. Even as we get a building, we're not getting a building so that we can just all sit down and settle in and and we've got our place. That's going to not just be a home, it's going to be a hub so that we can And do the work that God has called us to do. So we need to be a community of justice, a community of mission. The third thing I want you to see is we need to be a community of the word, a community of the word. As they move back into Jerusalem, as the wall is completed, Chapter seven gives us a listing of all of the people, all of the residents that have come back in. And the first thing they do, having come back into Jerusalem in Nehemiah chapter eight, is they brought out the book. They brought out the book. They called in Ezra the Bible teacher, and the Bible says this in in, Ezra, in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 5, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, All the people stood up and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, amen, amen, while lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The first thing they did after they've returned to the community of Jerusalem is they went back to the word. They went back to the scripture and ultimately every move of God, every restoration in the church will always bring us back to what does the word say? I want you to notice the excitement there was around the scripture, the excitement there was as Ezra opened the book, it it says that all the people lifted up their hands. They shouted, amen, amen. In other words, there was an excitement. There was an eagerness in their hearts for the word. And I believe that we should be that way. You know, sometimes we can get excited about everything else in the world. We can get excited about our favorite sports team. Nothing wrong with that. We can get excited about, uh, you know, a a new product that's coming out and everybody's waiting in line or tuning in for the big announcement. Uh, But do we get excited for the word of God? And ultimately, we as a church community, we're not built on the the traditions of men or the trends of the moment. We're built on the truth of God's word. We should love the word of God. There should be an excitement in our hearts for the word of God. The Bible says this in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. It talks about the Bereans who received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. In other words, they didn't just hear it, but it says there was a readiness of mind. They were eager, they were on the edge of their chair. They were taking notes. As Paul is teaching and preaching, they're going, hey, what was point number three? I missed it. Okay, I got it, good. They're going back the next day, they're studying it. They're they're checking to make sure what he's saying is true. Why? Because they're hungry for the word. As they heard the word, they weren't just sitting there half asleep. There was an excitement. They were saying, amen, amen, amen. You know, I I believe that we should respond in faith when the word comes to us, that there should be an excitement. There should be an eagerness, not because of the skill of the person who's communicating it, because of our hunger for the word. You know, when somebody's hungry, they have a meal, man, they go, oh, that was so good. Mmm, that was good. I believe we should be the same way when it comes to the Word of God. We need to be a community that's marked by the Word. I'm so excited for us to have a place where we can get together and study the Bible. Uh, I'd love for us to just have times where we have public reading of Scripture. The Bible says that in the New Testament, Paul says that we should commit to the public reading of Scripture. Have you ever seen a church that's just open for people to come and hear the Scripture? Uh, what a novel idea, but it's biblical. That's what Ezra was doing. And I believe that's what God's calling us to be, a community of the word. Number four, I want you to see this. If we're going to build community, the biblical pattern of community is that we need to be a community of celebration, a community of celebration. As they, as they read the word, they discover there were some things in the word that they had been missing, One of those was the practice of the Feast of Tabernacles. Now that was a a feast that God had commanded in Exodus when they came out of uh, slavery in Egypt and they had forgotten about it. And as they're reading this, they're going, Hey, we've been missing this. We're not, we're not celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles anymore. Let's bring it back. Let's bring the celebration back. And if you've ever seen some of the Jewish festivals and celebrations, there's singing, there's dancing, there's all kinds of excitement. It's just a party. And I believe that we as a community, a Jesus community, should be no less excited than these people were we should be filled with rejoicing. Every time we come together, there should be an excitement. I know sometimes when we gather on Sundays, you know, we are waiting for the coffee to kick in and I understand that, but I believe there should be joy in our hearts. You know, dancing and singing and shouting is biblical. That's the biblical expression of praise and worship. The Bible uses seven words for praise. One is clapping your hands, one is lifting your hands, one is shouting, one is spinning around and dancing. And I don't know how you feel when you hear that. Maybe you think that's not really my thing. I have to tell you, I can relate. I am not a dancer. Uh, If there is a dance floor, I avoid it like the plague, but When there is good news, when there is something that permeates our hearts of joy, we can't help but lift up our hands and shout and dance. Watch at a baseball game or a football game when a touchdown is is scored at a football game or a home run, a grand slam at a baseball game. It's the most natural thing in the world. People's hands go in the air. They begin dancing and celebrating. If they're going to celebrate a little baseball going over the fence, how much more should we celebrate the good news of what God has done for us? Like Israel, they were brought out of Egypt. We've been brought out of slavery to sin. We should be a community of celebration. Number five, not only should we be a community of celebration, but we should also be a community of confession, community of confession. The Bible shows us in Nehemiah chapter nine, that after they reinstitute this feast of tabernacles, that they, they gather together and they begin to confess their sin. The Bible says in Nehemiah 9.2 that those of Israelite lineage separated themselves from the foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and and the iniquities of their fathers. Now you hear that and you may think that's like the exact opposite. Celebration, now they're confessing all the things they've done wrong. Uh, I actually think that they go hand in hand because when we recognize the grace of God that frees us from our sin and causes us to, to be able to bring into the light the things that we've, that, that we've kept in the darkness, it's that same freedom that causes us to celebrate with joy and excitement all that God has done for us. You know, we as a church need to be a community of confession. The Bible says this in the book of James that we, James chapter 5, verse 16, that we're to confess our trespasses or our faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, the Bible says that if we confess our sin to God, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we confess to God and we're forgiven, but we confess to one another and we're healed. And I believe that God wants us to not just be forgiven. He also wants us to be healed. And when you confess your sin, you confess your faults to other people. Man, I I know that feeling of like, oh, what are they going to think? But there's something that's so freeing. There's something that's so healing when we confess our faults to one another. And I believe that we should be, if there's any place on the earth where people should be okay to not be okay, It should be the church. We should be able to say, pray for me, I'm tempted. Pray for me, I'm struggling. Pray for me, I've messed up. That's why I believe house church is so essential because we're never gonna get up on a Sunday in front of a large crowd of people and share all of our deep, dark secrets, but we do need to have a little circle, a couple of people, guys, a couple of guy friends, a couple of brothers, girls, a couple of sisters that we can call, we can text, We can gather in a house church and we can say, pray for me. I'm struggling. I need help. They confessed their faults to one another. You know, oftentimes our Catholic brothers and sisters do a better job of this than we do. That was one of the challenges during COVID that the Catholic church had to navigate is they thought that you had to go to a priest to confess your sin. And and the Pope ended up saying, well, since you can't go to a priest, I guess you can go to God. And that is true. We can all go to God, but we also need to go to one another. They confess their sins to one another. The sixth thing I want you to see is that they became a community of commitment, a community of commitment. As they confessed their sins to one another, they, they covenanted or recommitted to the covenant that God had given to them. And they actually signed this covenant commitment. The Bible says in Nehemiah chapter nine, verse 38. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites and our priests seal it. In other words, we're, we're making it public. We're committed to this covenant that we're making before God and before one another. We're not just having a moment of excitement. We are committed to this. And I believe that every community ultimately is built on commitment. It's built on commitment. The Bible says in Acts chapter two, verse 46, that they devoted themselves to the apostles doctrine, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. They devoted themselves. In other words, they were committed And I want to encourage you at this time when it's been so easy to disconnect from community, to recommit to community. You know, even as a church, we have membership. Now, that's not like you have a card and we need to see your membership card. What are we saying? Hey, like a family. Uh, I, I don't wonder who is a part of my family. I know I've got a wife and I've got four kids and I know the names of those kids. And I, as a father, bear a unique responsibility Now, yes, to love everyone, but in particular, to love my children. And the same is true for us as pastors and leaders. We bear a responsibility. We all bear responsibility to love everyone, but especially to love this community that we're a part of. And so we need to be a community of commitment. Sometimes it's easy to think, well, you know, I just want a community when it's convenient. Those of you that are married if that's the way that we function in our marriage just commitment when it's convenient how would that go let me just tell you it would not go well why because community relationship requires commitment it requires showing up it requires saying you know even at sometimes when i don't feel like it i'm still going to be a part of it and of course there's moments for all of us that we need space we need a change of pace But ultimately, commitment will never be, or community will never be built through convenience. It's built through commitment. And they were writing down, let's put our names down. We are committing to this, not only that, but then they were assigned places where they were living. Sometimes we love the idea of community, but they had to work it out in the context of Uh, even their neighborhood. And sometimes we love the idea of community. I just don't love the neighbor beside me. I love the idea of loving my neighbor as long as it's not that guy or that woman. But there is a commitment that has to come. And out of that commitment flows the feelings. You know, it's been said right actions or right feelings follow right actions. When we commit and we say, I'm a part of this community. Even if I get offended, even if there's challenges, I'm committed to this community. I believe a beautiful community is birthed. So we need to be a community of commitment. And the last thing I want you to see is that they became a community of service, a community of service. I'm moving very quickly through this whole book of Nehemiah, but we see in Nehemiah chapter 12, as the word of God was read, as they confessed their sin, as they Recommitted to the covenant, that they also reinstituted worship. They reinstituted ministry. And as a part of this corporate communal worship, every person had a part to play, every person had a place of serving and of ministry. The Bible says this in Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 24, it says, or in verse 25, it says the gatekeepers were keeping watch at the storerooms of the gates. Verse 29 says the singers had built villages for themselves all around Jerusalem. It goes on to say in verse 31 that there was two large Thanksgiving choirs. In verse 44, it says that there were some who were appointed over the rooms of the storehouse for the offerings and the first fruits and the tithes. In other words, there were some that were that were gatekeepers that were welcoming people into the city and managing the comings and goings. There were others that were musicians. There were others that were in the Thanksgiving choir. There was others that were receiving the tithes and the offerings. Offerings and managing those. It goes on to say that there were others who were treasurers. In other words, everybody had a job. Everybody had a job. And and I don't know if you're aware of this, but community is work. Community is work. If you're in a family, uh, there is work. And, And I know that there's times where we all need to just receive. And in church, it's true, there's times that you may need to sit and receive when you're hurt maybe you're going through a difficult circumstance, or maybe for those that are just young in their faith and, and, you know, they're not um, as as understanding of the responsibility that we're all called to bear, but biblically, every single one of us is called to ministry. And, And yes, there is differing roles. There's leaders and elders and pastors and all of the fivefold gifts that the Bible lists, but Ephesians chapter four, verse 12 said that it is for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, the work of ministry. Ministry is work because family and community requires work. You know, in, in my house, there's the work of who's going to unload the dishwasher. Who's going to mow the lawn. Who's going to vacuum the floor. Well, that's not why we exist, but it's a part of life. And the same is true in the church. That There's all kinds of responsibilities. And, and the reality is that God has aligned your gifting with a need in the body. And so there's some that are called to be musicians and they're gifted musically. There's others that are called to gifts of leadership and they've got that gift to be able to rally people towards the cause. Every single one of us has been given a gift, but it's not just for our own enjoyment. The Bible says it's for the work of ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the church, the community. And so God wants us to use our gifts, practically speaking, within our church community. Each one of us has a part to play. If you're not serving in an area of ministry, Uh, In the months ahead, we're going to be sharing more about the opportunities for you to be a part through serving. There's going to be practical things of work days around the building. There's going to be practical things in our gatherings and our house churches and all kinds of things, teaching opportunities, um, opportunities for hospitality, ultimately because God wants to build up community. God cares about community because God cares about people as we come to the end of this book, I believe that what God is imparting into us through Nehemiah is that God loves us. And God has promised that he will build his church. He will build his community and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Over the last 14, 15 months, it's felt in many ways like all hell has come against us. And what a testimony that today there are people gathered in homes, Next Sunday, we're gonna gather together. And I want you to know that God is building his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And through Jesus Christ, the best is yet to come. So I wanna encourage you today, maybe you need to take this scripture, maybe you need to take some time to meditate through. Is there an area that you are neglecting to build a healthy community that God is calling us to build? I'm so excited for what God is gonna do and I pray for you today. Father, I thank you for every person under the sound of my voice, every person that is under my care, our care pastorally, who's a part of our church, family, and community. And God, we thank you for all that you have done over these last 15 months. God, that you have been faithful. Father, thank you even now that you have provided a building for us God, not because you just care about buildings, but because you care about people. And Father, thank you for what you're going to do in the lives of our church family, in the lives of our community around us. Father, we pray that we would be people that care about what you care about. God, that we would be a community gathered around the person of Jesus, gathered around your word, gathered around your mission and your kingdom. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that as we do, your kingdom will come, your will will be done in Orlando as it is in heaven, we pray. We thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us today. I can't wait to see you next Sunday at the future location of the Open House, 10 a.m. We'll see you then.